Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, I'll look back at 2020 memorable moments. Peacock announces news about popularity of the Premier League games. News about a brand new soccer TV schedules app. Talk Sport pulls the plug on Premier League radio broadcasts. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined alongside my co host, Kartik Krishnair. Kartik, we've got a lot to get to in this podcast. Um, this one's a little bit more delayed uh, than usual. Usually we release it on a Thursday. Well, I'll exp- explain more in a little bit. But I want to dive right in, Kartik, because this past weekend, so we're Boxing Day weekend, uh, I, I know both you and I have watched uh, a lot of games separately. I think for me personally, uh, it's it's not about the the quantity. Um, it is about the quality, but um, but for me, it, it's a fun way to spend a weekend, especially when it's cold outside. Even in Florida, it's cold. So for me, it was seven Premier League games this weekend, uh, two Championship uh, games. So over like thirteen hours worth of soccer. And the one aspect about this, I mean, the the games themselves, I don't think there were any stunners or any like, oh my gosh, what an amazing game this weekend from the Boxing Day weekend. But for me, the thing that keeps me interested and keeps me watching these games, other than my love of of soccer and football, is the Fantasy Premier League. And I'm playing and I'm I'm watching it and I'm I'm watching the Wolves and Spurs game probably a little bit more closely because, I mean, is Sun going to get uh, another assist or goal? Is that going to help me? What about you, Kartik? How how do you stand in terms of Fantasy Premier League and uh, that having kind of a a, a magnetic bond that that, uh, helps you watch more games than you would normally? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm I'm on uh, on edge every match. Uh, even and and the stagger kickoffs have made it difficult. So even when I'm not able to watch a match, which wasn't the case this weekend, but was, for example, the case the previous weekend, and Newcastle was playing Fulham in a late match, and I was uh, constantly checking my phone to see what was going on. And I think I've told the story of of the uh, the uh, early morning that I had on the Biden campaign, where uh, and I was actually in close quarters with people on the Trump campaign. 
campaign and I'm nervously checking my phone. Uh, Southampton was playing Villa and there was like a goal in every, each, every minute in that match. And, uh, and even the Trump campaign, people thought it was just really amusing. And it's like, oh, well, uh, and I've explained to them fantasy and, and they kind of understood it. It's like someone checking their stock tabs. Um, this weekend, Chris, I think was really tough for everybody who plays fantasy. And for those who haven't heard it before, I play in actually a kind of a very competitive money league that we've had for, uh, boy, seven or eight seasons now because uh, it's all uh, former Fort Lauderdale Strikers employees. And uh, I only had nine guys that were fit that I could play with. I still won the week. My opponent only had nine guys that were fit. And uh, fortunately for me, among the nine guys that were fit, I'm actually looking as, we, as we're speaking at my live scoring from the week. I had Matty Cash, who had a really big game for Villa. I had Anthony Robinson, who had a very big game for Fulham, has been really consistent for me. Decore, who had a good game for Everton, uh, Suchek, uh, and then Ollie Watkins, who's just money for me uh, every week. Calvert Lewin had a bad ma- match, but I, I was still able to win in spite of that. My opponent had uh, got a lot of points as well. I mean, he had Saiz that was fit, mm-hmm. he had uh, uh, Christian Pulisic. He had Tammy Abraham, uh, but he uh, only had nine guys also. So it, it was uh, difficult. And I noticed around the uh, around the whole uh, of my league, everybody else had this same problem. I mean, I've been really dependent on on uh, guys like Vestergaard and Antonio to get me points this season. They both are injured now. Um, I, my very first pick in the draft was Aubameyang, which is a bomb. You know, I almost want to release him. <laughs> rather than even trade him to another person <laughs> in my league. So that's uh, – and now that Arsenal have shown they can score three goals without him playing, I'm wondering whether Arteta works him back into the team or not. Yeah, it does show that uh, real life does intersect with fantasy uh, soccer games because you've got everything from injuries but also COVID. I mean, some of the players testing positive for COVID last minute – not being able to play, uh, so on, so on, and so forth. But from this past weekend, um, well, actually, the Boxing Day weekend of uh, coverage uh, by NBC Sports. I mean, most of the games we watched, I, I watched too, were on NBC Sports. I mean, watched some ESPN Plus now and again. But uh, a pretty uneventful weekend in terms of uh, NBC Sports's coverage. Nothing bad, nothing great. But I would say that Danny Higginbotham yet again stood out um, and just the level of analysis that he provides and uh, how, how he's, he's quite different than what we've had in the past on that show. And, uh, and while I was typing up my notes this weekend for this podcast, I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about Tim Howard. Like, is he on vacation? Maybe spending time with his family for Christmas holidays? which is great but but Danny Danny Higginbotham definitely was the star of the show and and I think Big Sam was too because uh he definitely uh overcame a lot of uh anti-Big Sam uh feelings which are out there in in social media it's incredible how many people just despise this guy and to me I mean he he does it I mean he, he delivers results there's a reason that clubs hire a manager like this and uh, West Brom may have made one of the smartest moves on a managerial front this season by, by appointing him before somebody else does. Yeah, a couple of points there. 
absolutely correct on Danny Higginbotham. He knows the league and he'll talk about the teams that NBC's other uh, analysts have, have stopped talking about or wouldn't talk about in the first place. Although, actually, when they uh, when they first got the rights, Robbie Musto was very deeply endowed in, in a lot of the teams outside the top six and, and would talk about them regularly. And there's just been a, a shift in direction. So whether it's talking about Fulham, I pointed this out in, in the article I wrote, wrote about Danny Higginbotham a week and a half ago or so. Well, I was talking about Fulham in his first weekend on the broadcast, his very first match day, where he talked about Southampton and Brighton, which is something that generally they would just say, okay, Southampton, Brighton, uh, this was the result. Let's move on to talk about Manchester United, right? That would be the, the typical NBC uh, uh, refrain. They, 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 he, he prevented them from doing that. And then this weekend, I think talking about uh, how, how good Aston Villa was, some of the things about Aston Villa. Although I guess Villa is one team that they will talk about uh, anyway because uh, Robbie Musto is a former teammate of Dean Smith's, right? So yep. he does have an insight into that. But uh, still, more deeper analysis about Villa and then some very, very good analysis about Big Sam uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not always having to turn to uh, ESPN FC to get really top shelf analysis anymore. Although ESPN FC was fantastic yesterday talking about Lampard and, and his deficiencies. Let me ask you a question, Chris, you mentioned big Sam. Why do you think so many people have a hatred for big Sam? Why do you think so many people tweet uh, nasty things about him? And why do you think so many people uh, just uh, repeat these old tired uh, comments about him? Because I, my theory is that they've been told to that uh, people are not actually have not actually watched the teams that Sam managed very closely. They have not watched the, the type of football he's played. I, I think certainly you can take a, a, a stereotype from his time at Bolton uh, and, 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 and then that stint at Blackburn uh, throughout the Newcastle stint. That doesn't, um, that doesn't matter to me. But then uh, if you start with his time at West Ham, there's been an evolution in how he plays and how he adjusts to the guy, to the, to the personnel he has. And there's a reason why he's such a specialist at this because he can take any set of personnel uh scout the opposition create a tactical setup for that personnel it's very different than tony pulis who does have a set way of playing so i ask you chris why is there such a narrative about big sam that ignores this reality of his coaching cv and and his body of work is it because my theory is that the media has uh, effectively told fans and people who like to comment on social media about football, uh, uh, what to say about Big Sam, and people think it makes them sound more sophisticated if they if they knock this guy without really having a clue. Yeah, so, so there's a combination of things. I think I think in in England, in the UK, it is very much a um, basically a kind of an anti uh, Big Sam as far as just uh, I think I think the the playing style. Just that it is. Uh, he, he does uh, negate. I mean, his teams do negate the attacking um, kind of style of play of, of some of the teams that you love to watch. If it's Liverpool, they're just attacking and just looking. Uh, I mean, it's so exciting to watch. But then he he sets his teams up to re- really negate that, right? To kind of stop them, prevent them from doing that, and and, and playing. In, at times, it can be a counter-attacking style of play. Uh, at times, it can be five in the back. It can be just a, a very strong, resolute defensive performance. And and I think, um, well, actually, the UK side of things, I think I, I think that's a global thing, right? But the UK thing, I think it it is very much a um, 
they love the the foreign managers they love the french managers they love the italian managers and uh oftentimes they don't give a lot of time and patience to their own own managers the the english managers and we, we talked about this in last week's podcast a, a, a northern manager too so kind of a a, a, a manager that's from you know, i think i think he was uh, born in birmingham area and kind of more of a northern person so 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 that's that's the uk side of things kind of a you mean they love to see you mean the grass is always greener on the other side like, like to see some of these foreign managers that are more exciting style of play kind of a little bit more cosmopolitan perhaps universally i think it's it is one of those things where it is a uh you mean they don't like the style of play in the u.s and i came across this tweet and, and i saw it and i read it and i couldn't believe what it said and i thought like well maybe he's joking but then then again i think he's being serious but somebody i'll just read this out um kartik it's from uh, Kevin Kincaid, or Kevin Kincaid, uh, Kincaid, I guess it is. And he says, he tweeted to this today, Say what you will about Major League Soccer, but the lack of pro-rel thankfully means that managers like Sam Allardyce are not needed. So I think that's part of it. The U.S. side of things where you see a lot of negativity about Sam Allardyce is because the job he does is to go in, uh, like, like Jim Beglin said in today's commentary, he's, he's a fixer. He's a fix-it man. He will go in, if a team's looking like they're going to get relegated, he will go in and save them, keep them up, which which financially has enormous uh, consequences. Uh, for the fan base, it has enormous consequences. It, it's a positive. And I think that narrative of somebody who is a... A manager that that lives on the edge of that pro rel uh, kind of barrier, and is a really interesting story. Whether you love him or hate hate his style, I think for Major League Soccer, it doesn't it doesn't fit right. It, it, it's something that uh, doesn't fit into the narrative. Major League Soccer is not used to that, so they kind of almost like see Sam Big Sam as kind of the the enemy. I, I personally, I, I know you do too, uh, Kartik, but I love Big Sam. Uh, he does a job. It's not pretty, but it's effective. Yeah, it's effective. I'm not sure it's not pretty. It depends on your perspective, right? right. People are, are uh, applying, and I've said this, and I, I know people who follow me for a long time know I've been saying this about Big Sam for 10 years, uh, uh, really since uh, he was getting such a sh- uh, stick from – I liked him before that. Don't get me wrong. I really liked him at Bolton and, and have given him a lot of credit for innovation in the sport. That's the other uh, narrative that needs to be debunked, that he's some sort of caveman. I mean in terms of sports science, in terms of technology, in terms of scouting uh, opposition, he, he was at the cutting edge of English football in, in terms of especially among English managers specifically. But this um, this this narrative about, oh, um, you know, it's unwatchable. It's terrible football. That's your personal preference. You might like Barcelona passing uh, passing t- teams to death or Bayern Munich passing teams to death and and 20, 20 and 25 pass sequences uh, for, for goals. That might be the football you like, but you're imposing your value system. It's like anything ideological or political uh, on everybody else and forcing them to, 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 to create an opinion uh, about uh, about something else based on your personal biases and personal preferences. So with American commentators, one, uh, the United States does not put a great value on defending in, in, in its professional league. Major League Soccer, I, I didn't follow the league this season, but I followed it 
previous 20-some years. And uh, there are generally more goals and more defensive errors and more less organized uh, structural teams at the back than you see in other parts of the world, particularly a Sam Allardyce-type team. Secondly, I would point out that this idea that Allardyce always plays one way and that it's, it's always this dire defensive thing is absolute bunk. If you watch Allardyce teams, they're organized based on the opposition. Like I said, it's not, it's not like Tony Pulis who had always would have a target guy and then two quick wingers and they would feed, they would whip in crosses and then also depend on set pieces. And then obviously when Rory Delap was at Stoke, uh, some long throw-ins. Allardyce's tactics evolve with the personnel he inherits because as you said, he's very much become a fixer. So he comes in for six months, nine months to a club uh, doesn't really get transfer windows, has to deal with the personnel he inherits. That is, a, that is a specific skill I think most managers at the top level of the game do not have. So uh, that's, one, that's the first point. The second point would be that he does not always set up to sit and defend and then uh, uh, pu- push long balls forward to a target guy and, and have him play off of a guy. In fact, today you saw what he did is he, in the second half, he moved Carlin Grant further forward. They were playing some nice quick passes between the lines and springing quick counterattacks. That's very different than just flinging the ball up to a number nine, a target guy, like he used to have in Kevin Davies yep. uh, at, at Bolton and then at West Ham and in, in, in Andy Carroll. Uh, it's a different way of playing with um, with Crystal Palace, remember the, the, the performances he got out of Wilf Zaha. Really kind of uh, jump-started Wilf Zaha back to the level that, that we knew he was capable of. I, I tell you what, the, I, I just there's a few things that annoy me as much as the narratives about Allardyce. I think you know Chris personally from knowing me, and then a lot of people who follow me on Twitter or social media know. And, and again, I'm so annoyed by it, because the other immovable object in this is, is, is Liverpool fans. And um, Liverpool fans now have gotten spoiled the way Barcelona fans were and Manchester City fans have become under Pep and uh, all of these stylists, right, um, that, that are uh, – in, in and Arsenal fans used to be. Arsenal fans used to be the worst of it. And that's why Wenger and Arsenal fans hated Allardyce more than any other set of supporters. Um, they're just indignant. They feel like every team should play football uh, uh, the way that they want – uh, the way their team plays, therefore, every op- opposition team unilaterally disarms and basically says to Manchester City or Barcelona or Liverpool or Arsenal, hey, you know, uh, we're not as good as you, so just take it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think Big Sam makes good for good television in terms of it. It's, I mean, to me, I, I much prefer Big Sam than Slavin Bilic as far as a manager. Slavin Bilic, I, I, I see him, and I, I've said this to one of my friends who's a West Brom uh, former player, but also a fan, is that uh, he's a great championship manager. I just don't see him being as good in the Premier League. But but to me, Big Sam will make for good television between now and the end of the season, and uh, I hope they can do it. I hope they can stay up. I hope that they really give it a good go. They've got a good team. Um, it's not uh, flash uh, a flash with cash in terms of just uh, some high earners, but they're a hardworking team and uh, best of luck to the baggies. S- speaking of uh, the Premier League, one of the things, Kartik, I, I, uh, I, I love to love to hear, and actually this is something that happened this, this past weekend, was my favourite match of the weekend, which was Leicester against Man United. Really kind of a, a good uh, ding-dong of a game, back and forth, um, entertaining. 
But what I love sometimes, and this happens every once in a blue moon, but uh, I was watching the first maybe 10 minutes of this game uh, on mute because it's on, what, 7.30 on a Saturday morning. Uh, didn't want to wake up the household. And then after about 10 minutes, I, I, I switched the volume up a little bit. And all I could hear was the sound of the ball being passed from player to player and in the background, a little bit of crowd noise. And and that silence, having that silence, even if it was for 20 to 30 seconds, and then hearing the commentator mention something, to me, I, I love that because it, it, it's that kind of that, that, that time, that patience, that, that uh, really good balance where it isn't somebody that's just talking nonstop, filling every second of, of a, a match broadcast. Uh, it's allowing the game to breathe. It's allowing the game to, you mean, kind of basically the commentator taking control of the situation and uh, painting a picture rather than going ahead and telling you a story of what's happening at very every every second. So yeah, Leicester against Man United, uh, Peter Drury and Jim Beglin, two of the best in the business. And uh, I really loved uh, their commentary and, and, and always have done. Yeah, and I, and I actually have gotten used to hearing the weight of the ball and the weight of passes and, and that sort of uh, – and that's one advantage of, of there being no crowd, I guess, or minimal crowds in some cases. Uh, that match had a minimal crowd. Other matches had no crowds this weekend, uh, depending what tier they're in in the UK. But I, I've actually now enjoyed, Chris, hearing on those long pass sequences, the weighting of the passes, uh, the, 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 the ball being played, uh, being played uh, knocked around. But to make that work, you have to have some silence from the commentators, right? If you have a commentator that's blabbing the whole time, then you don't quite get to appreciate that. So that's actually something that's evolved in 2020. I know we're going to get into 2020 uh, uh, review in a little bit, but that's one of the things that's evolved for me in 2020 is I actually now like hearing the, the, just the passing of the ball. And you can hear it roll. You can hear the, 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 the touches, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a different world. So so speaking of 2020, Kartik, you and I were supposed to meet this week. You and I were supposed to meet in person. We were going to do the podcast side by side, take some pictures, maybe do some video. And um, before I I headed down to South Florida, uh, my, myself and my family all got tested. Um, coronavirus test, testing, we got rapid test is, uh, testing. Uh, the results came back uh, that same day. Everything was negative. We jumped in the car, started heading towards uh, South Florida, where Kartik lives. Um, the day after that, um, we got the, the subsequent results that came in, and uh, all of us came back negative on the, the PCR test. Uh, anyone who's, who's had a COVID test done, uh, and this was precautionary. We just wanted to make sure that uh, we we're all you know, safe and healthy and, 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 and clean, basically, no, no COVID, as we meet with uh, you know, Kartik and, and family, etc. And then, and then the, two days after that, um, my wife gets a, a text message to say, hey, your, uh, your COVID test has been up- updated. And she's like, what? That's weird. Like, I've had the, the rapid test comes back negative, the PCR test uh, comes back negative. And then it says she, she clicks on the link and to go to the app. And it says it's, that she's positive. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, how could that possibly be? How could the, the actual results change? So as soon as that happened, alarm bells went off uh, in terms of, okay, we have to be really careful now because what if that uh, result is, is correct? So myself and, and the whole family got tested again. We thought, okay, let's just get tested again and see what happens just to make sure we're safe. And um, 
the results came back, and uh, this time um, we were all uh, negative. We're all negative, except for me. I, I two days later after that, I got a result that came back that said positive. Uh, so I had to cancel uh, the opportunity to meet with Kartik to do the podcast. We said, okay, let's do it this weekend, Boxing Day week- weekend right now. And um, and what I didn't tell you, Kartik, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to tell you too, is that the day after that, I got tested again and it said negative. And, and I guess that's more of a, I guess, a kind of a, a tale of cautionary uh, words about the testing because absolutely insane because of, of course m- myself and my family were like worried when any any of the, the negatives came back in terms of oh, uh, the positive tested results but then got tested again and it said negative and then got you know, it just what a mess so for anyone who hasn't gone through that um i, I don't know I, it, I don't know if it's a florida thing i don't know if it's just uh the types of tests that are being done but uh, what a crazy week so so at the end of the day Kartik and I didn't get to get, uh, get together. Maybe in 2021, we'll finally get a chance. But uh, what a crazy week. Yeah, what a, what, a, what a crazy, crazy week for you, Chris. And uh, the good news is that your family's doing well. You're doing well. Uh, apparently, you do not have uh, COVID, uh, but it did curtail our plans. And I think that that's happening w- with a lot of people out of an abundance of caution, rightfully so. Yeah, so let's move on to TV streaming news. And and by the way, too, I, I'm 100% uh, healthy, no symptoms. Um, uh, actually, my, my entire entire family, no one has symptoms. We're all uh, being careful. I mean, we're kind of uh, quarantining here um, back, back home and just playing it safe. And as we've always done, we've been wearing masks, sanitizing, distancing, the whole thing. But just a crazy kind of basically three or four days of, of uh, negative, negative, positive, negative, and just trying to wonder what the heck is going on with this whole system. But uh, in terms of TV streaming news, uh, while I was heading down to South Florida to see Kartik and then also heading back after uh, just just a crazy, crazy week of, of testing, one of the things I got to do quite a bit was listen to some radio broadcasts of games. So for the Premier League, and uh, I, I found out, just as a lot of other listeners and, and uh, soccer fans in the US found out, that what we've relied on for so long, which has been Talk Sport and the TuneIn app, which has um, live broadcasts of most Premier League matches, almost all of them actually, uh, disappeared. So if you go into TuneIn and try to find a Premier League match, as you've done in the past through the uh, Talk Sport live broadcast, those are all gone. Um, I need to reach out to TalkSport to find out what's going on, if there's a, a change there. Um, I know that some of the games are available on SiriusXMFC, which is the TalkSport broadcast, but that's not every game. But uh, a lot of uh, a lot of question marks about what's happening within TalkSport and, and how they're broadcasting the ga- these games and making the, them accessible to listeners in the US. So uh, I'll make an effort this week to find out more information. Kartik, have you heard anything uh, about TalkSport and their coverage plans or any, any changes? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything about any changes. But what I have heard from a source, a pretty good source, is in the UK itself, TalkSport has had a big impact on or is having an impact on uh, television viewership. And, and in fact, in, in kind of the interest uh, of 
many consumers in watching Premier League matches because these kickoffs have been staggered, sometimes four different uh, match windows a day, uh, not uh, sometimes, often, right, on, on Saturdays and Sundays. And so what's ended up happening is people still want to go about what their go about their lives. Uh, yes, there's more accessibility now than ever to Premier League matches on television in the UK. In the past, we've always talked about how it was, the league was more accessible in the United States. So there's some matches free to air on BBC, etc., and then the usual BT and, and Sky. Uh, but you, you talk sport is handy wherever you go. So people who are trying to get on with their own lives and, and can't sit in front of the television for eight hours are now listening to matches more, from what I understand. The big question is, does this have an impact long term or is it a temporary coronavirus thing? And if it does happen long term where more people turn back to the radio to listen to Premier League matches, does it impact the next uh, round of rights negotiations? Yeah, in many ways, too, our, our viewing habits have changed, um, whether you're in the UK or the US or anywhere around the world, because with these games having staggered kickoff times where most of the games uh, each weekend now is it's one after the other. Uh, there's a little bit of fatigue sy- syndrome in there, too, where I think uh, it's more likely that we might get fatigued and, and get a little bit tired of watching the games. We need a break. Uh, normally, of course, I mean, as most listeners would know, normally there's like four or five games happening at the very same time and you get to kind of pick and choose the ones you want to watch. Um, but that's interesting, too, about the UK and um, possibly kind of a, a change there in terms of um, TV broadcasts and, and maybe uh, a change in the pent up demand for that. I think in many ways, uh, especially in the UK, they probably got spoilt in the last six months of having so much access or possible access to a lot of these games and uh, fatigue might be part of it too, where people are like, you know what, I'll just listen to it on the, on the radio or, uh, I mean, we're all still working or, or going about our da- uh, daily lives and with them being staggered uh, through a weekend, it means that the number of hours um, that, you I mean, we can watch these games has, has extended and not everyone can watch those games on television. So, that, you mean, it's it's maybe watch some on television, maybe watch one or two, but then listen to some of the other games on the radio as we go to work or drive in our car, uh, whatever it may be. Next up in the news items is something interesting that uh, there was an interview uh, this past week with NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell. And uh, Jeff Shell, when he got appointed to this position, his number one uh, goal and, and mantra was peacock, peacock, peacock. It was all in on peacock. And this goes back to several months where he was just kind of talking about how peacock is going to be the future of NBC Universal. Well, the interesting thing is, is in, in, in this interview that he did recently, actually, I think it was the earnings call. He talked about uh, the the rise of Peacock TV from from when it launched originally. Uh, what was it? Uh, spring or late spring uh, to where it is now, and all the programming it's added, and all of the the movies and on demand shows, and all the for twenty twenty one, all the new programming that's coming to Peacock TV. He mentioned, or it was asked, what is the number one driver of subscriptions and engagement to Peacock Premium? And the answer is the Premier League, which I was surprised by, because obviously we know that, I mean, there's a lot of Premier League fans, a lot of soccer fans. Uh, If we want to watch a lot of Premier League games, we have to get Peacock TV. Um, But I was expecting some of the TV shows or, I mean, the series or the back catalogue or other things 
would be the number one driver of subscriptions and engagement. But what this tells me, Kartik, is that uh, with next season of the Premier League being the final season of the current deal that NBC Sports have has, it's probably more likely that uh, another reason here that NBC Sports will go ahead and push more games to Peacock and just really, really just ramp that up uh, and try to get as many uh, new subscriptions as possible to make that uh, even, 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 even more of a must-have than it is now. Yeah, and maintain the subscriptions they have because there are a number of people who, uh, myself included, that just uh, subscribe because of the Premier League. I, I don't use Peacock for anything else. I mean, most of the things that um, that they have, uh, at least that, that are to my liking, are on some other streaming service as well. But uh, they, uh, uh, they they want to maintain those signups, and they're adding more and more uh, sitcoms and new series, etc., to. Uh, to, to, to Peacock, so maybe they, they will have other sustainable uh, bases of, of, of signups beyond the Premier League. But yeah, I think this makes it all the more likely that, that NBC feels like they're going to have to do what they can to keep the Premier League rights if it's the chief driver uh, of signups. Yeah, two uh, recommendations for anyone who does have Peacock that's looking for programming other than the Premier League on there. Uh, and this has nothing to do with soccer, but but just in terms of just me watching Peacock and, and looking at some other shows, two two of my favorites. Um, the first one is uh, Escape, Escape to the Chateau, which is a documentary series from actually originally from Channel Four in England about a couple who buy a French castle that's run down, and it's it's about I think six seasons of it, and they talk about uh, going ahead and and trying to turn that around. Really, really incredible uh, show. Highly recommended. And the other one is uh, AP Bio, which is a comedy starring, I think, one of the guys from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, and that's really funny. Those are, those are the two favorite shows I have right now. Now, Kartik, uh, some big news this week, too, is that uh, World Soccer Talk has launched a brand new app that hopefully will be uh, something that soccer fans in the U.S. will definitely uh, be interested in. It's called the Soccer TV Schedules app. It's available on iOS and uh, for Apple uh, phones, as well as Android phones. It's available in the Play Store. And what it is, is a TV schedules app, and also it has streaming listings. So when you log in, it's free download. No bugs, no advertising, no autoplay videos, none of that. It's just really very simple in its design. And uh, you can go through and you can favorite your team. So I can favorite Swansea City or United States of America, men's national team or women's team. And then it will uh, show me day by day uh, if my team is has a game on, which channel it's on, what time it's on, as well as all of the other TV listings and, and, and streaming listings. And, and what we've found through experience is that uh, there's more than 36 different ways you can watch soccer on U.S. television and streaming, 36 different op, uh, options, more than 36. So for the average soccer fan who wants to watch a game, say it's uh, Tottenham against Fulham in the FA Cup, well, where is that? Is, on, is that on ESPN Plus? Is that on Peacock? Is that on NBC Sports? Is that on you name it? There's so many different op, uh, options out there. So if you get a chance, check it out. It's a free download. Again, it's called, called Soccer TV Schedules, and you'll find it on uh, both Apple and uh, Android. Kartik, have you had a chance to kind of mess around with it a little bit? 
yeah, not only do I uh, have I messed around with it, I'm now using it actively, and and uh, it'll be especially useful when uh, when Italy and uh, Germany uh, kick back off again, and, and Spain in in uh, actually in less than a week's time. I know. This is yeah. A winter break, right? For for any of those leagues, uh, but that's uh, COVID in, in inflicted, but. Uh, you're able to select your favorite teams. You're able to kind of sort the, the matches the way you want them to. And and so it's a, it's a really useful app. It's not one of these apps where there are multiple layers and you have to do all sorts of things to find what you want to find. Sometimes apps get too busy even if they have a lot of information. Uh, this is really straightforward for you. Yeah, and you can also filter by league. So if you're only interested in the Bundesliga, you can filter. There's a filter uh, icon in the top right corner, and it'll just show you the Bundesliga as one example. And um, it's got it's got some other features to it too that are definitely very helpful. It also has uh, every, I, I believe, everything on there. So in terms of everything from the Argentine league to uh, some of the Asian leagues, African leagues, you mean uh, North American leagues, you name it. So the goal is to have everything that's available leg- legally um, will be listed in the app. So it's actually got quite a big database of information that uh, it's pulling from. So it, it's a great way to find out. If, if you love soccer, as you and I do, Kartik, it's a great way if you're looking for a game to watch or your team, you want to make sure you don't miss your single uh, a match of your team. It's a great way to to ensure that. Now, Kartik, uh, let's look back at 2020. Uh, let's take this year in uh, retrospective. I think, I think in the history of professional soccer, um, we haven't seen a year like 2020, uh, probably since the First World War or the Second World War, when when sports and, and soccer were cancelled, were shut down completely. Uh, this year has been a little bit different because we have had um, things continue. I mean, we're in a global pandemic, but we have people and leagues from around the world that uh, have figured out a way to make it work and to play games and have protocols in place and slowly but surely uh, bring fans back into the stands. So we're in 2020, of course, and we have these leagues uh, and games and competitions happening. We really haven't seen much of a hiccup. We figured out, I mean, we being us, the soccer world have figured out how to play these games. But Kartik, I, I think looking back at 2020 and looking at some of the highlights in, in the year in retrospective, we have to give so much credit to the Bundesliga for really being trailblazers um, in this in this whole protocol and how to play during a pandemic. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think for for sure the Bundesliga has to be given lots of credit for getting the protocols right, being first back among European leagues, and also, uh, quite honestly, really pioneering uh, the use of five substitutions, uh, staff wearing masks, and, and this sort of really uh, safe way of going about uh, playing the, the matches. They've continued, they've persisted with that since, uh, since their restart in May which has been uh, really good to see, whereas other leagues have, have kind of changed midstream, tried to open things up, maybe changed the substitutions rules, uh, had changed uh, the number of people on the bench in the middle of uh, uh, the season, etc., or in the you know, midstream because coaches have complained. So there, there have been a number of things that I think really stood out for the Bundesliga. Again, there's so, so much about the Bundesliga and German football that's done at a, a really professional level uh, and it, it kind of 
fits the whole stereotype of German efficiency. But they they got this right and they showed uh, the way for the rest of the leagues. Yeah, it was really like a, a a blueprint, really, for other leagues from around the world to follow. The, the other thing, too, is the, de- the debut of artificial crowd noise. And we saw this through, I think, Sky Sports Germany or Sky Germany, where for some of the games they started uh, experimenting with that. And... Um, that was something new we've never we've never had to experience. It was really, really well done. I, th- I think in many ways, though, too, I think a lot of the things that the Bundesliga learned were adopted by Major League Soccer in, in a good way. Uh, and we saw with Major League Soccer in 2020, if you look back at the history of this league, um, 2020 will stand out in terms of MLS's back and how they were able to go ahead and play a tournament uh, inside a bubble during a pandemic and it was a success. It was a su- su- success. A lot of it, uh, a lot of credit has to go to ESPN uh, for really kind of managing the, the TV aspect of this. Um, but the protocols uh, were followed. And for the most part, most of the teams uh, made it through, right? There was a, a couple of teams that didn't. But um, I thought that was really well done. And uh, it was different. There was no fake crowd noise. Uh, MLS perfected the use of... Um, I guess augmented reality or uh, placing of of live uh, advertising on uh, physical objects. I mean, which was the side of it wasn't even a stadium; it was just kind of a wall, uh, as well as the center circle having that big Adidas logo there. Uh, that was something new that we haven't seen before, too. And and the games themselves. Uh, were a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, it was one of those things that uh, because there was no crowd noise, uh, we got to hear some of the audio uh, a lot closer of the players and the coaches and and the, what they were saying. Uh, some of the matches were great. Some of the matches were duds. Uh, but overall, I think MLS's back will be looked at as, as a success. Um, do you agree, Kartik? Yeah, I actually enjoyed the tournament a great deal. I thought most of the matches were pretty good. And uh, yes, there were some odd kickoff times uh, because of the Florida weather. And and you have to play either uh, in the summer, you have to play either very early or very late in the state uh, and and thunderstorms, etc. Also, but I I thought it was it was well done. The production was good. I thought the camera work. I think we talked about this a while ago. The camera work on the ESPN broadcast was was really good uh, for that tournament. And, And it set a nice precedent for what could possibly happen in the future now mls has returned to their normal structure which i think is quite frankly less interesting than this tournament was the tournament to me was very interesting what mls did after august 2nd when that final took place or august 3rd whatever day it was was kind of blah i didn't i didn't have any interest in it yeah it's funny because it's uh, it really t- took the what is basically a meaningless uh, regular season and turned it into something more exciting, turned it into something more meaningful, which was a, a tournament that uh, essentially replaced the, the, the regular season. Now for 2021, looking to start back in March, we're probably going to go back to what we had before. But it definitely did give us an indication of what could be possible maybe in the future maybe they would look at something like this or try and look at ways to uh do things a little bit differently one of the biggest criticisms i've had for major league soccer for like what a decade now has been that they're very slow to change they're very set in the ways they're very stubborn um and the way that the league is structured the way that the calendar is structured all these things and, and many other things, they're very, very uh, slow to change. And um, 
in other ways as far as advertising in terms of uh launching this tournament in terms of sponsorships in terms of kind of those types of things um i mean new logos they're pretty they're actually kind of uh, leading the charge in many ways but uh the things that matter the most which is the product on the pitch which is influenced greatly by the calendar and the schedule and uh uh, the meaning of games, why or the relevancy of games, that's the thing that they're, they're still struggling with. And I think uh, we've seen that in the TV ratings where it has been relatively flat um, in that regard, uh, which is unfortunate too, going into the next um, bidding cycle for the, the rights to Major League Soccer is um, there haven't been massive record numbers kind of blowing, blowing the roof off the top type of thing. Now, speaking of television, um, some big hits in 2020. Ted Lasso was a critical um, success. It was a a surprising success. Uh, Ted Lasso, among a lot of critics, uh, a lot of them like non-soccer fans, has been a massive hit uh, for Apple TV+. It's one of the the great feel-good stories of 2020 on television. Uh, I think if this was on NBC or ABC or CBS, one of the, the big networks, it would have gotten even more praise and probably even more, it would have more reach. But this one has been a big success for Apple TV Plus and uh, more seasons to come from them too. Um, it's already in the works. And, and speaking of television, uh, Peacock TV launched. I think some of us love it. Some of us hate it. Uh, it's not going away. Uh, it has provided us with access to the Premier League TV channel, and it's still a work in motion, uh, as is uh, CBS All Access, which is going to be changed to Paramount+. Plus. But I think in many ways, too, um, the streaming side of things is something that has has changed greatly in 2020, and this is just the beginning, Kartik. Yeah, Ted Lasso, huge hit. Uh, really kind of a, a good thing for soccer also, uh, English football breaking through into the mainstream in terms of, uh, of viewership. A lot of people who are not soccer people are glued to their televisions to watch Ted Lasso every Friday. Apple TV did a great job of, and I, I think it may have been necessity because of lockdowns and not being able to film everything and release it all at once, but... Uh, the, the every Friday thing really worked to get people uh, interested in, in the program and, and, and engage and, and keep them engaged. Because what happens often with these these series on streaming uh, networks is that on streaming uh, uh, providers is that you uh, you binge once. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, you, you forget about it for a year. Right. Oh, you cancel. And, you cancel the service right, and cancel. Right. Yeah. And so that they didn't do that. And I think it set a, a really good precedent. Uh in terms of Peacock, yeah, the launch, I think we've talked a lot about um, kind of the clunkiness of the app. I got another complaint from someone today. I think it was directed to both you and I on, on Twitter about uh, the inability to, 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 to pause and rewind matches. Maybe it was only directed towards me. I can't remember. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was constant complaints about Peacock. It, it first was that you were having to add another streaming service. Now it's about kind of – the issues within um, the service. So let's hope uh, NBC Universal can get that, Comcast can get that straightened out. But uh, Peacock is here to stay and streaming is here to stay. Yeah, yeah, definitely some small incremental changes happening um, probably every every month to Peacock TV. I mean, even this past week, they've now started adding a listing for the Premier League TV channel that's available through Peacock TV. They listed uh, an actual description of what that program is, as well as what's coming up next. 
and and that's a small change, but it's definitely a, a welcome change. And um, I know that uh, a lot of the executives listen to this podcast and also read the website and the comments. Um, so that they're listening, and uh, and I'm sure they have a million other priorities also. But they're definitely listening to um, the soccer fans out there to to try to improve the service and make those changes that are going to uh, make a difference. Now, speaking of uh, changes to make a difference, Chivas. Finally, back on U.S. television. Uh, in the past, they were on Univision and got into a disagreement in terms of the rights uh, for that. And um, so when they expired, uh, Chivas launched um, Chivas TV. This is going back a few years ago. One of the, at the time, one of the, the biggest, most well-supported clubs uh, in North America, and especially the United States, of course, Mexico. But um, Chivas TV was a streaming service that was actually powered by NBC Sports. NBC Sports, uh, for about a year, was involved in the technology part of it. Uh, but largely, it was, um, I would say, uh, not a disaster, but it was not a success. It was no. something that kept uh, Chivas off U.S. television. And we know from listening to this podcast, we know Liga MX, uh, that the TV ratings for that that league and those teams are enormous. I mean, the biggest uh, in the US, regardless of language. And uh, Chivas finally made it back this season to uh, Telemundo Deportes for the home matches. So that that's a big, big, uh, big plus there. Yeah. And I think it was really important that they got back on Telemundo Deportes and NBCSN for some English language matches. They took themselves off U.S. television at a time when Tigres and Monterey became really interesting uh, sides to the American audience. And not just to Americans of Mexican descent, but to just general soccer fans in the United States. We saw it again with uh, Gignac the other day in the CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Monterey. Monterey took Liverpool to the to, to almost to the death, right, a year ago in uh, UEFA club or in the uh, FIFA Club World Cup. Mm-hmm. So um, the two clubs from Monterey, from, from north of, of, of Guadalajara, these two big clubs have, I think, captured the new fans of Liga Emekis through their accessibility, through their success, and the fact is they're spending a lot more money than other any other teams in, in this, this region, those two clubs in particular, even more than Club America or LAFC or these other big teams you think of in, in the uh, Canada, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Um, uh, they have captured a lot of the supporters I think Chivas might have captured otherwise. And uh, you also have a, a, a Liga Emekis that's becoming more cosmopolitan, it's always had some really good foreign players, but now uh, really highlighting uh, uh, the quality and uh, Chivas had fallen off. So I think this was very, very, I don't want to say it was a desperate move for them. And you were maybe a little more diplomatic about Chivas TV than I was. I think Chivas TV proved to be a disaster because it, it, it effectively seeded. Uh, See, if you're taking a full league off of television or you're, you're, you're restricted the way Barcelona and Real Madrid are because they're part of a U.S. TV package for La Liga, which uh, is on BN, which really uh, hurts the entire league and every, every team in the league, then it, 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 it's okay. But what Chivas did is their big rivals in America are, are on Univision or Univision networks every week. 
right? Yep. And um, Monterey and Tigres were developing a supporters base in the U.S. Cruz Azul has a supporters base. They were off television, Chris, I think for three years, if I calculate this correctly. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Chivas lost a lot of ground in the U.S. So to me, this is one of the top five stories this year in the U.S. in U.S. Uh, television uh, in soccer, because I, I also think it's not just, hey, triumphant Chivas is back. Uh, I think it's also desperate Chivas is back. So, Kantik, I, I didn't mention this to you uh, in our preparation for the podcast, but uh, uh, I'll answer first, but I'll have you think about it uh, while I'm talking. But also, what, looking at 2021, what's the one big thing that you're looking for, the one big thing that you're most interested in, in to see what happens for 2021? I, I'll go first. And and for me, this is 2021 is a major year because of um, the, the, the next FIFA World Cup. So 2022, I mean, uh, Qatar, Fox Sports has the rights to that uh, tournament as well as the 2026 World Cup. But going into 2021, there's a lot of question marks about Fox Sports' coverage of soccer. They've really dialed down. They've really kind of, um, they've had layoffs. Uh, If you look at talent that they have, um, they've stripped away most of the talent. Um, See, two years ago, you would have had... I mean, Warren Barton, Kobe Jones, uh, I mean, a long list of talent, uh, Jovan Karoski, uh, Eric Winalda, you go, you go down the list, there was a lot of talent that they had. Uh, nowadays, you watch any broadcast of a, a Fox Sports uh, game, maybe Major League Soccer or US Men's National Team game, and it's pretty much four people. It's uh, John Strong, Stu Holden, Alexi Lalas, and um, Rob Stone. And, and sometimes we saw with the MLS Cup final, uh, Moadu. So you have five. You have five people. Now, for the 2022 World Cup, um, I think I really think that Fox is just going to basically do as little as possible. A lot of it depends if the U.S. men's national team makes it to the, that World Cup. They should. Uh, if they don't... Um, you know, that's going to be a disaster. But I think Fox would probably um, probably not send anyone to Qatar. Maybe they'd have somebody there for the final. But even if the U.S. men's national team makes it to the 2022 World Cup, uh, nothing's guaranteed. But if, if they did make it, I just see Fox not putting a lot of energy or effort into this tournament um, other than just the basics. Um, and again, to the industry in terms of layoffs, budget cuts, etc., has had a big, big impact at the same time with Fox uh, buying up rights for other sports, spending I mean, you know, billions, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. I think soccer has gone way, way down in their list of priorities. So, if, so for 2021, I'm interested to see uh, what Fox does to try to ramp that up a little bit. Do they make an effort? Do they uh, try to start um, becoming, becoming relevant again? Because when you think about it, Kartik, a year ago, Alexi Lalas was all over Twitter, you mean almost like daily with his tweets or his um, his Periscope videos initially, but his videos. And there was a lot of interaction and he'd be, he'd be very on point, uh, saying a lot of things that some of us uh, disagreed with. But he was part of the conversation, a regular conversation. And, and while I, I I like Alexi Lalas as an individual, he's very smart. Uh, I disagree with a lot of his viewpoints and I often question whether or not those viewpoints are really what he believes or if he's just trying to stoke the flames a little bit to try to to be the center of controversy. Uh, at the end of the day, 
I think Alexi Lalas today on Twitter is far less relevant than he was a year ago or even two years ago. At the same time, Rob Stone is hardly on television anymore. Um, Stu Holden and John Strong are they're, they're probably the, the two main ones. So that's my thinking for 2021. I'm interested to see what Fox Sports does differently. Or, or do they scale back even more? Or do they just keep that, that crew of five and keep things running pretty much as they are, which is, which is really... Not much. No, 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 nothing exciting. Nothing worth talking about, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, uh, also, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea who listens to this podcast, but I think uh, them being limited to MLS and, and Concacaf Champions League and uh, the occasional Cup. international uh, has uh, really limited Stu Holden's. Uh, 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 he, Stu Holden is very good. He knows a lot about football from Europe and from around the world. Uh, maybe uh, some, some fans don't think he does, but he does. And I, I feel like the loss of Turner's uh, Champions League rights and Fox having virtually nothing they show uh, has really deprived us of a guy that I think is pretty good. So that's another uh, little aspect of what you were talking about regarding Fox. I, I actually miss seeing so much of Stu Holden. So what about for 2021, Kantik? What are you looking out for? What are you interested in seeing um, what happens? Look, I know I'm Johnny OneNote on this, and, and maybe I'm, it's, a, it's a faint thing, and I shouldn't even raise the subject again. But I just do not know how La Liga can continue another full year on BN and expect to, uh, to compete in the United States. I think they're falling further and further behind. Uh, look at the promotion ESPN is giving the Bundesliga. It's, it's pretty unprecedented for, for a European uh, f- football league in terms of uh, what ESPN has done. Uh, obviously, NBC has given a similar or more promotion to the Premier League. Serie A is becoming more mainstream, more popular because it's on ESPN. And, and, and it seems like now um, what, what ends up happening is uh, just in my own circle, people I talk to are watching a, a more Serie A, more Bundesliga. They still watch more Premier League than anything else. But the amount of La Liga and the amount of people conversing about La Liga continues to drop. Now, you can say part of it is Barcelona is down and, and Real Madrid lost Ronaldo a few years ago. And Ronaldo moved to Serie A, so maybe that that upgrades Serie A. He also happened to move to Serie A the year that ESPN got the rights, whether that's a coincidence or not. Uh, uh, it was a coincidence, but it still it, it, it helped ESPN. I, I just don't... Um, Chris, think La Liga can sustain its profile in the United States. And I know they're trying to do a lot of other things, a lot of grassroots efforts, types of things that the Premier League isn't necessarily doing in this country, or Serie A isn't necessarily doing, or even Liga MX isn't necessarily doing in this country. They're doing a lot of little things to try and bolster their profile. But And I know, and, and, and you may come back at me and say, hey, you, if you get Fubo or you get Sling, you have the end. But the, the bottom line is, the majority of people who subscribe to streaming services or subscribe to cable don't either have access to BN or they're not going to go and get the extra tier to get BN. So I think, again, I mean, even if they were to leave their English language rights with BN, that could be a compromise and they force BN to sub-license matches to Univision or Telemundo on the Spanish language side or somewhere. Um, it, it would solve a lot of problems. So that I'm really going into 2021 thinking, especially given the, the change in the landscape of football uh, or the world in general because of the pandemic, that, that this is make or break now for La Liga. 
timing is everything, Conte, too, with this, too, because you, you look at, I mean, Ronaldo's you mean, left La Liga well, a, couple, a couple years ago to go to uh, Italy. Uh, Messi, in an interview, I think today with uh, Telemundo, was, was asking about the, the U.S. or talking about the U.S. as a possible uh, future destination. And it sounded like it was sooner rather than later. But, but by the time that Bein Sports' contract with La Liga ends, which is 2024... Chances are Messi will have left that league and gone on to someplace else, another another club. So that window of time, that opportunity that um, La Liga had in the US was a missed opportunity. I mean, being sports for everything they've done right, uh, the reality is, is they still have distribution problems. They're still not on Comcast, the number one uh, cable network. They're still not on DirecTV, the number one satellite network. So for a lot of people in the US, being sports is irrelevant. irrelevant. And for a lot of uh, sports fans, especially more of the, the mainstream casuals, La Liga is irrelevant, other than maybe El Clasico, where that person might go to a bar or to a kind of a, well, in the past, a, an outside event to watch El Clasico would make more of an effort to watch El Clasico. So yeah, no, you're right, Kartik. It's uh, for 2021, it's a pivotal year. Uh, does La Liga continue at the same plateau, which it is a plateau? Uh, the numbers that they get for La Liga games are still relatively decent, despite their distribution uh, problems. But at the, the end of the day, it's all about perception. And and you're right. The perception is is that La Liga is not part of the conversation as much as other leagues from around the world. And the perception is that they're losing pace uh, on the Bundesliga and Serie A. Some of these leagues that in the past they would have thought that La Liga was you know, kind of light years ahead in terms of the, the popularity in the US. Yeah, definitely good points there. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. We've got a bunch of great comments this week, uh, as always, from you, the listeners. First up is Dermot. Dermot says, I fully agree with you that play-by-play commentators should not be passing an opinion on what they think of a player or, or a team. Their job is to call the plays as they see them. It is the job of the experts beside them to make comments. Sadly, though, some play-by-play soccer commentators have been listening to too many U.S. sports commentators and now believe that they are there to pass opinions or that, the, or that we are even interested in uh, their opinion. Next up is JP. JP says, NBCSN going away uh, at the end of 2021 is an interesting development for the NHL rights. This is the last season of the contract with NBC. Uh, I doubt that the NHL would be on board with the majority of their games being on Peacock or shoehorned into a USA Channel programming. Maybe this means NBC Sports uh, knows they aren't going to renew. As for Premier League rights starting 2022-2023 season, despite all of the the, uh, placating by keeping matches on television for now... They can read the same articles and see where it's heading. If they're happy to be primarily on a streaming service for the next contract, they'd be better off with ESPN+, Plus, which is a better platform. If they want to stay on television, perhaps Fox gets back in the game or CBS swoops in. I don't think that the Premier League going uh, is going to renew with NBC uh, is a done deal by any stretch, stretch of, the, of uh, my imagination. 
Rich says, so what percentage of games are we talking about for Peacock next year? Will there be only one TV USA game on Saturday, one on Sunday, and the rest on the Peacock? And uh, Rich adds, also truthfully, I actually don't mind NBC games being replayed on the NBC Sports app. However, those that signed up for an annual subscription, uh, thinking that they would be able to get all replays on Peacock TV are screwed and should be reimbursed. So, so Rich, to answer your question uh, directly, uh, we are talking about a, a greater majority of games being available on Peacock next season. Currently for this season, it's about 44%. So I think it's uh, 175 games a season. And as each year has gone by, that number has increased. And and next season, if I had to guess or an educated guess, I'd say more than 200 games, more than 50% of the games will be on Peacock TV exclusive uh, as far as um, the games, would there be only one on on a Saturday and one on a Sunday? Um, according to the predictions from that um, that sports industry reporter, it looked like more games would be heading to NBC, the over the air channel. So um, there's not a lot, a lot of opportunity though, as far as timing. So, but maybe maybe a, a mid morning or late late morning uh, on a Sunday game. Although that causes issues with uh, political programming uh, on the West Coast, but maybe like the, that late, uh, or maybe it's a, a noon Sunday game Eastern Time, and then the the twelve thirty on, on a Saturday. So maybe there's one more on, on over the air NBC than than what we're used to right now. Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of things that they run up against with over the air. One is the uh, the, the requirements for educational program on Saturday mornings for an over the air network channel, which NBC is, and then the public affairs political programming requirements on a Sunday morning. Uh, that now I, they can work around the, the the public affairs programming. So I think that that Meet the Press is an hour, and then you you have to set aside some time for your local affiliates to have public affairs programming on Sunday mornings. Is how the uh, uh, the FCC rules at least used to work. Not sure if uh, they've changed, but. Uh, uh, I think they're okay on Sunday. Saturday is where the question comes in. I think they can only show that 1230 Eastern time kickoff uh, on a Saturday. That's the only time slot that will work unless the Premier League persists with these 8 p.m. BST, 3 p.m. Eastern time kickoffs. The the two morning slots on Saturdays cannot be on the over-the-air channel. So that you're looking at uh, definitively Peacock or um, – or, or USA. And so I would say, yeah, probably closer to 75%, I think. I think it'll be wow. maybe, or 70%. It'll be three out of 10 matches a week is what I would predict, uh, or match days uh, would be on USA and NBC, and then the other seven would be on Peacock. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, next up is Brian. Brian says, uh, it seems to me the Premier League deal is just too big for one carrier. As a whole package comes um, with a hefty price tag, I think it needs to be split with NBC keeping the Saturday national game and then everything else on ESPN. Or they split the weekend games, NBC gets the Saturday game, ESPN gets the Sunday game since they don't have football on Sunday and then midweek games show on ESPN channels and ESPN Plus which is similar to how we used to have it before there was ESPN Plus where uh, ESPN2 had uh, a Saturday morning game, the early kickoff before the college football games and then um, and then Fox 
Fox, right? Yeah, Fox Soccer Channel had yeah. the FS1. Well, it wasn't even FS1 then. Fox had the uh, the 10 a.m. game on a Saturday Eastern time as well as the 12.30 game. Um, and then ESPN2 sometimes had the, the Monday game and then Fox had the, the Sunday games. But uh, that seems like a long time ago. That was. And then, and then if there were midweek matches... Uh, what would end up happening yeah they would split and some of the matches would end up on espn3 which was actually a good thing back then uh because that was more accessible than any fox streaming service or fox fox soccer match pass it was something else then right fox soccer i they've gone through a bunch of fox soccer plus right fox soccer plus right uh and uh there was a fox streaming uh service too oh, fox, yeah. fox soccer tv but fox, fox soccer tv that's right yeah. and it had the same logo as fox soccer plus right but, but that's uh yeah those days are long gone and i don't think we want to return to that i also don't think espn has room for it honestly because they have uh, uh they have so much going on on saturday and sunday mornings it would only be that early saturday morning kickoff that they could accommodate that's even earlier now it's 7 30 in the days when they showed it but otherwise, uh, everything would be pushed on to uh, ESPN3, which I'm not sure the Premier League necessarily wants, because the, the other thing you have to consider with this is that uh, there has been a lot of bandwidth by ESPN invested in promoting the Bundesliga. And once the Premier League is on the same streaming service as the Bundesliga, Serie A, etc., maybe they take some precedence over those leagues, the championships on there also, but just slight precedence. With NBC, they have someone very, very committed to them. And, and if they were to go to DAZN or they were to go to Amazon Prime, it would be the same thing. Someone exclusively committed to them in, in, in the European uh, football league space. So that's why I don't take ESPN pretty seriously. I think the contenders would be, uh, would be if NBC were to, to be challenged, would be DAZN, Amazon Prime. And I've been thinking a little bit about Discovery Plus because mm-hmm. Discovery, we know, has had interest in the Premier League in the past. Uh, not this last uh, uh, bidding cycle, but the previous bidding cycle, they were very interested in the product. And they they certainly have the channels and they now have are going to have a streaming service that maybe they want more than just educational and nature programs on. So uh, that, I think, could also be a, a possibility. But I, I, I'm... Uh, since John O'Ran's predictions, I've thought more about it and, and uh, actually wrote a piece on it uh, for World Soccer Talk this past week. I, I think it's probably going to stick with NBC. Yeah, and uh, my possibilities, I think the front runners for this one, uh, NBC definitely, especially with Peacock being such a success for uh, subscriber numbers and engagement numbers, even the the top level executives that know nothing about soccer at NBC, kind of the, the you mean the decision makers. Um, not the people that are involved in the TV broadcast, but the people that the the higher ends, the CEOs, now I think understand the importance of soccer and, and the importance of the Premier League and, and what it's uh, providing to Peacock, which again is is their number one goal. I think that the front runners are Peacock TV, ESPN Plus, and also um, CBS All Access, uh, Paramount Plus, basically. So those. I really see the streaming being a big part of the next uh, TV deal for the Premier League, and then uh, it maybe select games on television, but not that's not the priority. I think the priority is about gobbling up as many new subscribers to all these competing streaming services, and I, I think that's the way we go uh, for the future. So for those of us who are just uh, 
used to watching games on television. I think it's going to be basically it's going to be Liga Max and uh, World Cup games. You mean the World Cup, both the men's and women's World Cup, and and probably La Liga will probably move to some streaming service too in the future too. But I think that's where we end up is the big events, kind of like the Olympics, the World Cup, and um, and then Liga Max. Um, those are the things that will stay on television. Everything else will be on streaming. All right, uh, two more comments to go. Uh, Anthony says, I'm surprised that the podcast hosts are surprised that NBC may be in the lead for the next Premier League contract versus DAZN or Amazon Prime. DAZN and Amazon Prime don't have one critical thing the Premier League wants, which is consistent access to television, particularly broadcast television. NBC is the only network that has the ability to put games on broadcast TV at 12.30 on Saturdays. So this is a good point to Kartik because uh, DAZN's a good example. DAZN is a company that when they launched, they were going 100% streaming. Everything streaming uh, started uh, in Japan and uh, slowly made their way into Europe, uh, primarily focused on, on boxing and fighting and MMA, uh, but in certain areas of the world, um, definitely having more than that. Germany, they're big in. Um, many of the, the Bundesliga games and many of the sports in Germany are available on DAZN. DAZN's a big player in Germany. But the thing that DAZN did differently in the last couple of months is they're starting to sign TV deals. They're starting to sign deals with uh, TV broadcasters uh, to go ahead and find a way to distribute their programming, uh, live programming on television. So even though DAZN is looked at as a streaming solution, a streaming platform, um, they're not opposed to, to actually doing TV deals. So that, that that's always a possibility. DAZN has a huge amount of money to spend on rights. Uh, if they wanted to, they could be a massive player. Amazon Prime at the same time too, I think with, uh, yes, Amazon Prime doesn't have a, a TV partner, but that doesn't, I mean, Jeff Bezos has, what, more money than, than anyone in this world. If he wanted to, he could probably buy any of these t TV companies if he was really serious about being on television. That's not where they're heading. So maybe Amazon Prime def definitely has a disadvantage. The, the other thing about this, Kartik, too, is a year ago, if you asked me why would NBC Sports, why would the Premier League be interested in renewing the deal with NBC Sports, one of the reasons I would have given you is that the Premier League um, can't, build a brand in the US as well uh, without NBC Sports because NBC Sports has these events that they do where they go ahead to Philadelphia, they go to Boston, they go to Miami. So the big difference is a year ago, uh, before COVID, right, um, those Premier League events, the Premier League mornings, uh, where there were thousands of people that came out and, you I mean, yes, most most people didn't like them on the TV viewers. Um but that's something the Premier League can't do. But now with COVID, I mean, when's the next time we're going to have an event with Premier League fans that come in from around the country to go to a public place to watch games together? Maybe 2022? You know what I mean? And uh, and, and even then, you mean, it'll take a while to get back to what it, what it was. Is that now a, a less of a priority for the Premier League? Maybe they're focused now on, on other things. But a year ago, I would have said that would have been a deciding factor in NBC Sports retaining the rights uh, or, re or renewing the rights for for another four to six years. Now, less so. So I think an ESPN Plus 
or Paramount Plus, if they're really serious about uh, getting more uh, subscribers, that that's something that would uh, w- would be of interest to them. Uh, the Premier League, of course, and and then of course ESPN Plus and, and Peacock TV probably going head to head. Yeah, uh, the the one of the reasons I think the zone might be a player is the the amount of money. And, and again, you're right, the zone is much more established in Germany than they are in the U.S. But the amount of money they threw at the Bundesliga to get a piece of the domestic rights package was uh, insane, in my opinion. In fact, I would say it probably gets the Bundesliga out of the kind of COVID financial jam that so many other leagues are in. Just that DAZN package and DAZN seeing it as an opportunity to outbid Sky, although Sky retains some rights, right, in in, the, in Germany, but far less than they used to have. Uh, I, I just think maybe this is their play in the U.S. is to somehow throw money at uh, at this property, or maybe it's the Pri La Liga away from uh, uh, from the end. Uh, speaking of my previous uh, commentary of, about what I'm watching in 2021, maybe mm-hmm. that's how DAZN becomes more relevant here. But uh, I I just think that they're going to be along uh, on the edge. Uh, on the edges, on the periphery of some of these discussions, the zone wanting to pick one big move, and John Skipper is probably plotting that right now. It might be the Premier League, and, and that's the thing, though, too, is that the the Premier League is an is an attractive uh, property. So if you're a zone on ESPN Plus, Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus. Uh, Peacock TV, I mean, no matter which streaming service it is, you know that uh, if you acquire the rights to the Premier League with that guaranteed, that there's a, there's a huge audience there. Well, huge as in, in terms of soccer. So you get diehard fans that would uh, pay pretty much whatever price, right, within reason for access to that league. You would subscribe to wherever the Premier League goes on streaming. Uh, most of us will probably go to that, that service. Major League Soccer at the same time uh, is got their rights coming up. And Don Garber, I think a couple of weeks ago, talked about this too. And he said that uh, the timing is just right for Major League Soccer in terms, in terms of the next TV deal. There's a lot of uh, streaming services out there that would be uh, interested in Major League Soccer. And and while I agree with him that there there is interest, there's going to be lesser interest than with the Premier League. I mean, with Major League Soccer... You mean, are fans that diehard, that hardcore, where no matter where Major League Soccer goes, will those fans gravitate to uh, subscribing to that new service or that different service? Uh, in the past, we had Flow Sports. I mean, that that's one place that uh, some of the, the, the Major League Soccer games went to for DC United. Um, I mean, so it's, it's apples and oranges. I, I don't think that um, Major League Soccer is as well positioned as the Premier League. Uh, Major League Soccer can definitely bring audiences to a streaming service, but not in the same numbers or not with the same amount of passion and uh, hardcore appeal as you would with, say, the Premier League, which is more of a mainstream league uh, in the United States. But uh, yeah, definitely good uh, feedback there from Anthony in terms of um, about that TV angle, which which is still important. And within the ESPN Plus, um, possibly with a DAZN, definitely with a Peacock TV, you still have that TV component there. Um, and I'm sure there's other services. You know, Fox is one example. But there's, the TV is less important as those numbers keep on going down and down and down. But you still need broadcast television to be a component um, if, if you're going down that path of, of wanting to be one of the, the top leagues in the world. 
Last but not least, uh, David says, uh, excellent podcast, gang, uh, gang, really interesting information and analysis of streaming developments and possible demise of NBCSN. Not sure about your comments regarding the London bias. Maybe your Swansea background tinged this a little. Nevertheless, a good uh, informative listen. Yeah, and, and David, this is from my experience. Uh, I mean, I've been a soccer fan since uh, 1979, or actually it was 78 or 77, and since the, the, the mid to late 70s, uh, in, in Kartik probably since the early 80s. And just our experience in terms of dealing with a lot of journalists and a lot of media is that it is very London-centric. It is very, I mean, whether it's Sky Sports or Talk Sport, uh, it is very much a lot of the discussion, a lot of the the talent that's uh, in that studio, whether it's Sky or uh, Talk Sport or London-based ones that talk about the Arsenals, the Chelsea's, the Spurs, the West Ham's, and you don't get as much discussion about, say, I don't know, Newcastle United or or Burnley or an Aston Villa. Uh, because a lot of that talent really aren't that knowledgeable about those teams or don't have as much interest. So so that was my take on that. Karthik, what about you? You're a little bit different because, I mean, support, supporting Manchester City, a northern club. I mean, what's been your experience with kind of the, uh, the same. perceived... I mean, I mean, I- Perhaps being around Manchester City supporters and being connected with them in the years before the Premier League became mainstream and being on all these chat groups and and uh, message boards back in those days, right? Uh, they there was always accusations of London bias and that the commentators were always biased towards London clubs and then uh, Manchester United and Liverpool because they had London fan bases, right? They weren't by it wasn't because there were a lot of scousers in the media or a lot of Mancunians in the media, it was because they were Londoners that supported those two clubs. I I think uh, where the bias really comes in is I think there's a disproportionate number, from my own experience then going into the soccer media, there is a disproportionate number of fans of two clubs uh, in the the football press, which would be West Ham United and Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, there are disproport. I think there are actually a disproportionate number of Spurs fans on Twitter in general in the U.S. Now that I've noticed it, and even in my political work, uh, it seems like everybody I meet who's young, who's a who says they like soccer, likes Tottenham. Uh, there might be something Spurs are doing right to actually do that, but just historically, um, and, and even when I've written for British publications, there have been. Uh, over half the people writing for the publications I've written for connect, connected to the UK have been Spurs fans or West Ham fans. And then you notice it even when you look at the background of writers for, for mainstream publications like The Guardian and The Observer, Independent, Telegraph, Times, etc. Disproportionate number of fans of those two clubs. You don't get perspectives of Newcastle fans. You don't get perspectives of a lot of fans of, of, of clubs from the Midlands. And there's also kind of a patronizing aspect oh, you know, she's our northern football correspondent or she, you know, he or she is our covering the Midlands for us. Like it's some sort of provincial secondary place. So um, I don't know if the bias is as pronounced anymore towards Manchester uh, clubs and Liverpool clubs, uh, those four clubs. And obviously, uh, if you look historically at the at the four biggest clubs in, in English football history, I would argue three of them are, are from Manchester and Liverpool, Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United. The fourth would be Arsenal. And then now in this era, Manchester City are as big as any of those clubs, right? So mm-hmm. um, maybe there isn't as much... Um, 
uh, bias against Mancunian and and uh, Merseyside clubs as there as there once was. But I think uh, uh, it's tough if you're a Midlands if you're a fan of a Midlands club, if you're a fan of a club from the Northeast, uh, if you're a f- fan of a club from Yorkshire to see to see a fair shake in the media. It's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, pa- because pa- of where newsrooms are, where the writers right. are, etc. Yeah, I was going to say part of it too is just where they're they're located. So the media capital of uh, uh, the United Kingdom is London, where most of the the major uh, newspapers and major media organizations are based. I think in some ways we've seen this in the past with uh, in the U.S. with Los Angeles being um, with Fox Sports being yeah. very LA Galaxy and LAFC and you know, Chivas. Chivas uh, back in the day, yeah, yeah, back in the day where they were more knowledgeable or uh, kind of talking more about the LA teams. Um, than than teams in say I don't know Colorado or wherever just because they they have more access they have more of a familiarity with them they're going to those games I mean they're more interested at the end of the day in in those storylines and those teams and and well, it's so- definitely a thing in the U S in general I mean the opposite is true in America or at least was when I used to follow American sports more closely and still college sports I think it's definitely true where there's an anti West Coast bias right because uh, all of the writers are based in New York or Boston or someplace in the East Coast, or if they're college football writers, Atlanta, Miami, right? These places in the South, Dallas. So there, there just aren't many uh, mainstream sports people that are based on the West Coast. So there's this bias against West Coast teams or bias against West Coast programs, etc. Um, it's similar. Now, they're all in one time zone in the UK, so it's not a time zone issue. It's just where the newsrooms are, where the journalists uh, come from. There are also... Uh, I will say this, having been in a, in a newsroom in the U- United Kingdom, uh, there is peer pressure to where even if you have someone who's maybe not a football fan or doesn't have st- a strong allegiance to a club, comes from uh, comes from another part of the country, comes from the uh, from from uh, the you know comes from uh, some place where there aren't big clubs, right? Like the uh, like the southwest portion of, of mm-hmm. uh, England, where if you're south of Bristol, there's really nothing. If you're from uh, uh, down there in that part of the world, uh, you tend to then gravitate towards the clubs, the other people in the newsroom support. And they, they, they are generally Spurs or West Ham. I I mean, there are Arsenal and Chelsea and all these other clubs, Liverpool, Man United, but there is a disproportionate number of those two clubs I found just historically. And even if you think about it, the, the football journalists you usually read or reads columns. If you start thinking about what clubs they support, there is a disproportionate number that supports the two clubs I mentioned. That's, that's what I love about the commentators for a lot of these Premier League matches are that they're spread out throughout the country. So like Gary Taphouse is from Bournemouth. Uh, uh, Tony Jones are from Wales. You've got John Champion uh, from... From York. We're from York, yeah. Jim Beglin from Ireland originally, but I mean, a Liverpool, former Liverpool player. You go down the list and there are a lot of uh, commentators that are spread out throughout the country because I think geographically, uh, with many of them going to the games, they have to live pretty close to the, the, that region. So um, 
that's one thing. I I don't see the bias in the commentary. I just, just I just see it sometimes in in the coverage, whether it's radio or television. Um, and 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 again too, some of it might be personal in terms of some and, of the personal bias. I, hear. I, I don't I don't see it in the commentary. I agree, and I uh, I know he's not always our favorite person on this podcast, but I'm going to defend Arlo White. There have been accusations by people I've seen on Twitter of saying Arlo White is biased whenever he calls a Leicester match. For me, he's not. Right. If Arlo White were a Spurs supporter or a West Ham supporter, he would never be accused of that, in my opinion. It's because he's a Leicester supporter and he's from the Midlands. So I think that these biases then transform themselves even in among U.S. fans. Yeah, and, and and one more thing before we go go, to, go on to the next uh, item, and and that's Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler, who we don't get to hear as much anymore, but in the past, for like what the seventies, eighties, nineties, and and the two thousands, uh, there's always been people saying like, oh, he's biased against Liverpool, he's biased against Manchester United, and anytime we interviewed Martin Tyler, he would always say like, no, like I, I know people say that. Yeah. But you mean he calls it so straight down the middle that you mean to try to do everything possible to make sure that there is no uh, perceived bias, and and even then at the end of the day, I think people oftentimes uh, hear what they want and they believe, and it's tough to even for me personally, whenever it's a commentator being critical about my team. Or, or kind of just saying, you mean, what a wasted opportunity, they should have done better, whatever it may be. I take it personally, and sometimes I kind of think like, ah, oh, I can't believe he said that. But then on reflection, maybe a minute later, I'm like, well, actually, that was kind of true. It hurt. Um, so it, it is a very personal experience watching soccer and uh, and listening to the commentators and listening to the um, the, the studio analysts and, and, and the experts and the writers uh, which is one of the reasons we do this, this podcast too, because um, it's a whole other world out there that often isn't covered, and that's something that we do cover quite a bit is is that experience of listening to games and watching games from around the world, which uh, we love to do. Speaking of which, uh, if we want you to have your say, so if you have any questions, comments, observations, uh, disagreements, or uh, rants or raves, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the mothership, which is uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Don't forget about the Soccer TV Schedules app on uh, iTunes, well, actually iTunes, App Store for Apple, as well as the Google Play Store. Uh, This will be our last podcast of the year. So our next podcast is going to be in 2020. We're going to take a little bit of a break uh, over New Year's Eve, kind of uh, the New Year's Day, and and then we'll be back the following week. And uh, hopefully, like I said, Kartik, hopefully in 2021, we can actually meet up again because it's been, I think, since March or February, maybe February, the last time we met when we went to, uh, I think, go to uh, Tuduene. Was it Tuduene? Yeah, Tuduene. We went to Zona Football. Right before things shut down. So effectively, uh, I think that that was the last match day in the Europa League we were there for. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. or it was the next to last. Okay, well, it was, yeah, it was, it was the next to last. The next week was the one where they were half the matches were canceled. Wolves were on the plane. Oh, yeah. The Olympiacos already, so they played that match, but Nuno didn't want to. So our, the full, last full match day, we were there, correct? Yeah, little do we know, little do we know. So yeah. so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. And, and for me and Kartik, this is a good, good chance every week to catch up and talk um, and talk about articles and other things. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Kartik will have an article posted uh, this coming week 
at worldsoccertalk.com where he goes in and and reviews uh, NBC Sports his coverage of the Premier League um, and offers some uh, criticisms, both 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 positive and negative, uh, just talking about their analysis and, and how they've been um, broadcasting in the Premier League. So that's definitely a must read and that'll be coming out later this week at worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, before we go, uh, where can listeners uh, catch up with you on Twitter? You can uh, find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. All right, and you can find me at World Soccer Talk on Twitter as well as Facebook and everywhere else. And listeners, thank you so much for 2020, for all of your enormous amount of uh, quality uh, on the comments and the feedback and the support for, for this podcast. Uh, it's been growing, growing, and it's really kind of a fun part of uh, the week that we always look forward to. So uh, without you, we wouldn't be, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you again. And also thank you for supporting uh, World Soccer Talk as we provide you all the information, insight, analysis, and everything to uh, really enhance your soccer viewing experience uh, with games from around the world. And Kartik, heading into a week not a, not a weekend but a whole week of soccer coverage actually probably about a week and a half uh, before the next podcast uh, what should the listeners do enjoy your football Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.